That was a reasonable welcome. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad. We might make a preacher of you yet. Knowing when to start and when to stop, that's the key to good preaching. Which I will try, probably not with great success, to do this morning. I'm notorious for many things. <coughs> Brevity is not one of them. <coughs> so if you left the meeting, they have to go and switch it off. No, I will attempt to be fairly short. I will attempt to be modestly short because I believe God is going to do something in our midst later on in the service this morning. And I need to hold that in my heart and be very conscious of what I believe God has spoken to me. In 1978, I was traveling in heavy snow in my trusty old Toyota in what was then called Yugoslavia. In those days of travel and ministry in communist Eastern Europe, it was very difficult to find churches. I mean, can some of you younger people envisage a life without mobile phones, without computers? Even when you were there, you couldn't call home. So literally, I would leave home in my car, and really you could not fly if you wanted to go and visit churches because they had too much of an official record of where you were and what you were doing. And so I was in Zagreb, the capital city of what is now Croatia. And I did what I always do. I said to the pastor, and you gain trust with a leader, and then he would give you an, another address and another address. There were no sat-nows, nothing was written down. So he said... I've told my friend in the city of Osijek, which I think at that time was the second city of Croatia, that uh, you'll be with him on Sunday. I said, well, thank you very much. So I, I had an address and a name on a piece of paper of where the church was. And I arrived there about nine o'clock on Sunday morning and I was amazed to find that the address was, in fact, a Jewish synagogue. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to get circumcised before I speak here. <laughs> so I went in, and much to my amazement, they were worshipping Jesus Christ, as we have been this morning. And it turned out that the local authorities, which is what they did in a lot of religious cases they made various churches combine, which can be good, can not be so good. And it was a bit difficult with a group of 20 Pentecostals combining with 50 Jewish people in one building, but that was the rule. And so somehow I had to stand up and preach. I can't remember what I preached about other than the fact that, as always, it was very good. <laughs> <coughs> but when I, when I ended the service... An old man in his 80s, which takes me back a few years because that's where I am now, be warned because when you get to my age, you can pretty well say what you want to anybody. <laughs> Everybody dismisses it as senility, and so they let you get away with it. 
but I will try and behave myself. He said to me, what are you doing here? I said, well, I wanted to come and preach. He said, we don't need you here. Oh, thank you very much. He said, mind you, you're quite good. I said, thank you again. <coughs> he said, we're doing okay here. and We really don't need you, but are you aware that a few hundred miles south of here, there is part of our nation where there may be one known Christian old lady still alive? Here's her address. It's time you went to Kosovo and took the gospel there. I found out later that probably, and I say this with no sense of gratitude other than to God, I turned out later that I was probably the first Christian missionary or missions worker to preach in Kosovo or to work for Jesus in Kosovo since the Apostle Paul preached there 2,000 years ago. But it turned out there had been a group of three Methodist old ladies still hanging on in a country of 1.5, what became a country, of 1.8 million people, mixed Serbs and, mixed, um, and Muslim Albanians. So with the snow, about a foot of snow on the ground as we left, we journeyed the several hundred miles to Kosovo, and it will be fair to say, I've not experienced this too often in my, my travels, but there was a sense of deep spiritual foreboding in the place. It was a bit like a wild west town. You could hear gunfire going off. There were Serbian tanks on the streets patrolling. This was 30 years before the Kosovo war took place. There was a great oppression and I and my traveling companion, there were just two of us, we were conscious that we were being watched and followed. We found this old lady. She invited us to stay in her simple house. Fortunately, we weren't allowed to. We had to go into a hotel, which was quite pleasant. But it was next to this Serbian army barracks for obvious reasons. So anyway, we looked around, we talked to this old lady, she was the remaining Christian, evangelical Christian, in, the, in this country. And we talked to her about, and prayed with her, and she said, it would be my dying wish that something could be begin, begun again here, and I would just die and leave nobody behind. And so we looked at her house, and God spoke to me about the house, it was a, a good-sized house, but with a, a workshop, mechanics workshop in the garden, which was just about okay for a church. So I said, how would it be if we bought your building from you and put you in a nice flat somewhere? And she, she was overjoyed at the thought. Anyway, we left there after two or three days of looking around and sensing what God was saying. We began to journey over a high mountain pass leading from there into southern Serbia where our next engagement was. As we crossed the mountain pass, we entered the cloud and there was literally about two feet on each side of the car. It was a high bank of snow about five foot high. 
and it was, uh, you couldn't see anything. It was totally solid, hard-packed ice and snow. As we entered this cloud, suddenly a truck came speeding towards us down the same track as we were on. And all you could do is close your eyes, which I did. And the driver didn't. <laughs> he tried to pull the car out, out of through the bank of snow, and it was too hard packed, it bounced back. By this time, the truck was probably about the back of the church to where I'm standing away. I closed my eyes, opened it, and the truck wasn't there. And I, I looked behind, over, but my colleague was driving. I looked behind, and the truck was behind us, going back the way we had come. And I, I, I don't know what I said, but it might have included, thank you, Lord, or something like that. So two days later, I got into West Germany. And I did what I always did, because Gretel and I had been out of touch for nearly three weeks. So I had my five mark coin with me, and I put it in the box. And I said, hi, love, it's me. I'm okay, we're on our way home, we'll be home in two days. That was from near Vienna, or near Salzburg. She said, where were you last Thursday at 12 o'clock midday, your time? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. My wife is quite sharp at times. <laughs> yes, I'm okay. Uh, are the kids okay? Yes, they're okay. Where were you on Thursday at 12 o'clock? And so I had to open the door of the telephone kiosk and shout to my colleagues, a colleague, where was I? Where were we? And, it, and I didn't realize what it was all about until I got home. And it turned out that she was sitting down in, our, in the home where we still live. And she was just, she just made a sandwich and a cup of coffee and was about to have lunch. And suddenly, I would say she never had the burden of worrying about us. She believed we were walking in accordance with what God had told us to do, and we would be okay. She never consciously worried about us, although she did pray. And she, it turned out that at 12 o'clock, she just made a sandwich, and suddenly the Holy Spirit said, pray. And she said, okay, what about? Just pray. She said, being a practical German lady, she said, can I have my sandwich first? <laughs> she doesn't like to waste things. And so the Holy Spirit said, no, pray now. She said, what about? And the Holy Spirit didn't answer. So she did what the Holy Spirit teaches us we can do, and she prayed in tongues for about 10 minutes with a deep, heavy burden. So she was weeping tears of heaviness. And suddenly, the spirit went. And she said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Is it okay if I go back and have a sandwich now? <laughs> so it was all right. There was no reply, so she had a sandwich. 
you will not be surprised to know that that was the exact time that we confronted that truck on that highway. We'd been, if you like, invading Satan's territory. And it was an attempt to wipe us out and wipe out, and by the way, 50 years later, I guess, whatever it is, 1980, 30 or five years later or something, we went back the next year and the next year and the next year, bought the building, renovated the building, brought a, a young man out over to train at Bible school over here, sent him back, supported him. Now, all that time later, the church in Pristina has about 200 people, and there are 23 churches now in Kosovo. I know it was all in the plan of God, but can I say that was because Gretel was obedient to the Holy Spirit. It was then, I think we already knew, and you already know in, in, in theory, you already know that we've got to watch it because we face a cunning enemy. And we've got to know how to fight him. Better still, we've got to know how to win. Let me read something to you from God's Word. We're looking at 2 Samuel again, but this time, verse 5, chapter 5. I will shorten down the reading because I've taken a bit longer over the story. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel, and you shall become their ruler. Then all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Pretty good, huh? He must, have felt pretty, he must have felt pretty pleased with himself, if I may say that for a moment. But then, look at verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up with full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. We'll come back to that later on. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will he hand them over to me? And the Lord answered him, go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to ba Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against our enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The title of my message today, which is part of the series we have been doing, is Facing Opposition. I have a subheading to that, which is Facing Your Giants. Now, we've got to understand, sitting here thousands of years later, these stories of David, his kingdom, and those who helped him establish it have a great deal to teach us who serve the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and are committed to its expansion. All these things the Bible says about itself are written for our learning. And it says about these 
mighty men, and I guess a few mighty ladies as well, <laughs> gathered around David at the cave, and they went out with him on, a, on his military campaigns. It said they gave his kingdom full support to extend the borders of that kingdom over the whole land. Hello? Yes. Can we say the same thing today? That we are committed to giving the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ full support. But we can be sure in so doing that we will face opposition. We read, when the enemies heard that David had been anointed king, they came with full force. So listen, if you haven't, let me bring you some words of comfort this morning. If you haven't realized it until now, all anointed people get attacked. Amen. Not too many amens to that one. <laughs> the Apostle Paul is clear. We face, weapon, we face our warfare on two fronts. First of all, Paul is clear that, look, I'm, I'm struggling with this fleshly nature. I'm a bit of a wretched man. The things I try to do, I don't get done. And the things I try not to do, I do. And then in, 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 in uh, Ephesians 6, I think it is, he says, we're not just... We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against principalities and powers and the rulers of this dark world. So we have that natural warfare against our fleshly nature and we have spiritual warfare as well. And like it or not, one way or the other, we all face what I call the Hamlet dilemma. Can anybody remember who a Hamlet was? Well, Shakespeare wrote about him. He was the Prince of Denmark, supposedly. And these are the words Hamlet said, something like, to be or not to be? That's the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to face the slings and arrows of outrageous fortunes or to take up arms against the sea of troubles and by opposing end them. And you know, we still, we still have that same question posed to you and I today. Do we, in a sort of fatalistic way, just accept the ups and downs of life without any effort on our part? Do we just sit back and accept our misfortunes? Or do we take the arms that God has provided and learn how to win? As Pentecostals and Charismatics, we readily embrace the promise of Acts 1-8, don't we? Yeah. Jesus, remember, was going away to his, to his father and he said, I'll send someone to take my place and he called him the Holy Spirit. Notice the powerful words that Jesus uses. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we're, ha, ah, wonderful. Hey, do a bit of shaking. Fall on the rug of it, fall on the floor, roll around a bit, get up, all right. Oh, why isn't God wonderful? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Yes. And can I say to you this morning, as strongly as I can, without being hard on you, we cannot accept the promise unless we take on board the commitments. Amen. If we receive the Holy Spirit, we have to recognize the we are impelled to be witnesses for him. Amen? amen. Oh, I've got an amen there. Thank you. 
Let's say for a minute. And by the way, if I remember rightly, Magdi will, I, you've got to be careful with Magdi sitting there, smiling into his beard, because he will know if I've got something wrong from the Bible. He always picks me up on things. Um, I think I'm right in saying that of those apostles that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to and said you will be witnesses, I think only one of them died a natural death, and that was John. The rest were all martyred for their faith, because that word witness, as you know, is from the Greek word martus, which means you, there's a good possibility you will be martyred in some way or the other for your faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the challenge we face. Would you say that, looking at your, your lives, would you say that we... Pentecostals, Charismatics, I don't know what you call yourself these days. Would you say that we are amongst the most blessed of Christians? Would you say that we have learned to enjoy the presence of God in a lovely way? That we have been given and have received and flow in spiritual gifts? Would you say that statistics are correct and that we are the fastest grow, growing group of Christians in the world today. Would you say that? Yes. If that is so, does that not mean that we are the most accountable for evangelism? Yes. If we accept the one, we, we must also accept the other. We are the, Jesus said in John 12, I think it is, Jesus said, where much is given, much more is required. If you receive much, much more will be demanded. Worse to that effect, anyway. Jesus said that. And we all have a part to play in this. Both individually, we have a mandate. And as a church, as Wellspring Church, we have a corporate mandate as well. Individually, we are soldiers. Collectively, we are an army. So what is the mandate? I'll tell you what the mandate is. It's to evict Satan from the territory that is wrongfully acquired, usually by the inactivity of the Christian church, and establish the rule of heaven. Amen. I'm fed up when I see what Satan is doing to our world. The, the wretched things we see on our television screens and so on. You know, sometimes when I was young, I went to a, one of those funny schools that said, I went there because they played rugby and I, it was one, the most wonderful game in all the world. I pity Americans and Egyptians who really don't know how to play it very well at all. <laughs> and apart from anything else, rugby gives you license to kick the French and the Welsh and other people like that. Although I shouldn't say racist things like that. But my school used to teach me it's not the winning that's important, but it's how you play the game. What other, what other rubbish? I don't know about you, but I want to do some winning. You know, Christians can be too nice. It's good to be angry when we see what's happening in our world. And it's time to fight back. And as I said earlier on, it's time today to raise up some memorial stones to what God has done in our lives and in the life of our church. I've heard preachers say, it's okay, guys. 
You may be suffering. Well, if you weren't before, you would by the time they'd finished. It may be a hard time for you. Uh, but I've looked at the last chapter in the book. And we win the whole thing in the end. That's okay, but I want to win now. We don't sort of run out our lives here and begin the real purpose when we get to heaven. This is where it's at, folks. This is where we do our evangelism. This is where we work for Jesus. This is where we kick out the devil and plant the rule of heaven in its place. I want to do my winning now. As I said earlier, you can accuse me of many things, but I'll tell you this morning, God is looking for people like David who have learned how to win in all situations. I'm notorious, as I said earlier, for for many things. I'm not notorious for playing fair. If you take me on, be warned, if you take me on in any game, I'll beat you one way or the other. Even if I have to cheat my way, if I play you Monopoly, I will rob the bank to beat you. (laughs) If you play rugby, I will find a way of putting you out of the game so I can win. I want to win. It's inbuilt into me. I'm not sporting at all. That's why I will never play computer games with my grandson. Because I only play games that I know I can win. Well, you know... Don't get this all wrong, but God is looking for a people like that who know how to win and who don't know how to take on the enemy. David had learned. As a young boy, he was looking after his father's sheep without any thought of the future. He wasn't looking to be king. He was just focusing on being the best shepherd boy that the country had. But he killed a lion and he killed a bear. Some Christians would have jumped behind a rock and prayed. But David said, no, these are my father's sheep. You're not having them, so you're coming down. I don't care, Mr. Bear, you're going to become an endangered species. But you're not having these sheep. So that means when it, when it came time to meet his giant, we read, do you remember the story of David and, and Goliath? Yeah. He, he ran to meet him. He couldn't wait to get at him. He ran towards him. And whereas some people might have said, that giant is too big for me. David said, that giant is too big for me to miss. With my stone. So now here again, here again the Philistines come in our story. And I don't know whether you understand, but Goliath wasn't the only giant around in those days. There was about five of them that you can read about. One guy that I read about this week, his name of what was Ishi Benob. Yes. What a name to be lovered with. <laughs> I mean, if you weren't mad, you'd be mad if somebody gave you that name, wouldn't you? And I brought my stick here. You might think I need it, but I didn't bring it for that purpose. Ishi Benob, apparently, was about so tall. Can you imagine a mad giant coming at you that tall? And being three times as broad as Maggie as well. (laughs) And so, but you see, David had learned how to win. And he'd communicated this spirit to his followers. And so he said, you know something, 
He said, I'm too tired. I've been fighting all day. He said, I'm tired. He said, this Ishi Benob, by the way, had said, I'm going to kill David. David said, I can't be doing with him. He said to Abishai, he said, you go and see to him. See him off our land. And Abishai went out and killed him. You can read all about it when you get home. And I love those stories about how David won through himself and communicated to others. So I want you to be all today, as I come towards the close, I want you to be able to raise your remembrance stone on this Remembrance Day. Let me make a faith statement today. It's time to take down your giant. Can can, Can you believe that today? It is time to take down your giants. And what better time and place to take down your giant is the Valley of Rephaim. Have you ever felt in a valley... It somehow speaks of a low, a low feeling, doesn't it? You're, you're not only in a valley, but you're in a, in a valley of Rephaim, which means the valley of giants. And what David did, he renamed the place Baal Perazim. That's the valley of breakthrough. Are there, are there, is there anybody here this morning that will stand out from the crowd and say, my valley of giants my valley of Rephaim is going to become the valley of Baal Parazim. God is going to break through in my life. God is going to intervene in my situation. My giant is coming down. Whatever giant it is you're facing this morning, stand out. I'm inviting you not to stand, but to stand out. To stand out from the crowd. Run towards your giants. Come on, Magdi. I know I've been rude about you, but you can come. You've got a poppy on. Yes. Oh, you are British, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Right, that's all right. (laughs) I want you to do some winning today. I want you to have the mentality that David did. He ran towards his giants. You know, let me tell you something. Your giant is not as tough as he looks. Sometimes the enemy can appear to us to be bigger than he really is. And that puts so many people off. They're saying, I can't take him down. I can't take him. The task is too big for me. So that today, so that today on this Remembrance Sunday, your Rephaim, your Valley of Giants can become your Baal Parazim, your Valley of Breakthrough. So let's pause for a moment now. Quietness. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. I don't I don't know. I know God has been speaking to me. But I don't know what particular giant you are facing today. Many people these days seem to spend their lives living in fear. So your giant could be the old one of fear, fear of Failure. That's a terrible objective, terrible giant to face. You've, always, you've never quite succeeded and you're going to fail again. You're not. You're going to win through. Fail, some people are... I, I detect... Do I, am I right in saying... Someone said it on the phone to me yesterday. There seems at the moment around our nation to be a growing sense of fear about the, about the um, COVID thing. 
When's it all going to go? Well, I'm not afraid of it. I mean, I've still got a few years to bother you with yet. But I want to pull up some giants this morning. I've asked Magda to join me because we're going to try and identify. When we've identified a few of these giants that may be facing you this morning, we're going to ask you collectively, the ones who have identified within yourself something that you need to face, we're going to invite you to stand and we'll pray for you. Over to you, Magdy, for a moment, and I'll come back to you. I wonder how many people here would have, uh, kind of on a regular basis, uh, anxieties. Uh, you can be anxious about different things, whether it's uh, finances, whether actually you're going to make it, you're going to be successful. just want to tell you that uh, if you're anxious about your future or anything God is here and he doesn't want you to, to get bigger he, does, he just wants you to run at your giant as you are David didn't carry the weapon of Saul he just went with what he had with a sling God is enough God is enough I like the words well going on from what Magdy was saying. I know we've taken a bit long this morning. I'm sorry for that, but that's, that's it. But David killed Goliath with his own sword. Did you notice that? He stunned him, this is my interpretation, with the stone. And then he took Goliath's sword and chopped off his head. It's good to use the fear of the enemy, it's good to use it against him. Because yes. Satan knows he's been defeated. Yes. And God wants you to know you've won. Yes. You've already won, but I want you to win today. Yes. I want you to win this week. Yes. As you go through Monday and Tuesday, on the down days, in the valley, I want you to win this week. Yes. Against fear, against depression, against fear of sickness. Let's do some winning this week. Amen. Wonder as well about those who think there is a fear about your family. Fear about your kids, but fear about your family situation. Uh, fear that it will not be sustainable. Uh, as if deep in your heart when you sit with yourself and you're trying to run away from this you feel that uh, this will this will go bad this will break I just want to tell you if you're in the room or if you're online God is your insurance God is the leader of your house if you, if you are obeying if you're submitting and God is the protector of your household. God is the provider for you and God is the protector. And the Lord himself is your priest and he is interceding on your behalf. You cannot, you cannot fail if you believe I who he that. is. Are there those here this morning? I remember Maggie and I, a few days ago, were talking about a family he knew where a Christian family were on the point of breakup. Are there those here that are fearing that situation? 
this morning. Are there those here that are fearing the odds? I'll tell you the word that came to me as I was praying about this yesterday. The word that came to me is that people here were afraid of getting leukemia. I don't know why that word came to me, but it kept popping into my mind. Some blood disorder, leukemia or something like that. Are there people here that are fearing that today? And the, all the signs are, yes, God says no. God says you are the healer of the Lord. Okay, if you sense, Magdalene's going to pray in a minute, but if you sense that God has been speaking to you this morning, and if you want to mark this remembrance day with a new stone, indicating your triumph over your giant, if you've got something in mind without identifying what that is, I'm going to ask you to stand, please. Something in particular that the Holy Spirit is putting into your mind. Jesus, we thank you that you won the victory. You won the victory. As we sang, death, where is your sting? Ultimate deterioration, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Jesus, all victory is yours. So we declare together, that in Jesus' name, everyone who is struggling with fears and anxieties, health issues, finances, you won't keep deteriorating because the author of life is speaking life into you. The one who won all the victory is speaking freedom over you freedom yes. speaking freedom over you freedom. stretch out your hand as if you are receiving freedom and say Lord I receive the freedom and the victory that you Jesus did and those who are sitting if you're sitting around people those who stood just stretch your hand to them and believe Jesus the author of life the creator of all things, visible and invisible. He is the one who upholds the whole creation. All of creation by the word of his might. We thank you, Lord, this morning that you came to bring us hope, not fear. Yes. You have not given us a spirit of fear. Yes. But we thank you that we can call you our Father and our God you are who our loves Father. us. People who need to hear, God Hallelujah. loves you this morning. Yes. We speak against every spirit of fear. In and we Jesus command name. you to go in the name of Jesus. In Jesus name. Every spirit of depression, you will lift from that person now in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, yes. Every, every indication, every pretense that you're never going to make it. You'll always be down. You'll always be in your valley. You'll always be facing your giants. You will go in Jesus' name. 
every thought, every stronghold, every belief that you have that exalts itself against the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, as the victorious King of heaven and earth, the one who rules everything, the one whose every power, rulership, dominion, every name that is given is under his feet. Every thought, every stronghold like that, we tear it down in Jesus' name. We tear it down in Jesus' name that you would be free from every thought that keeps you wandering, anxious, stressed, and afraid that you will always stay the same. You will always stay in your weakness, that you will always stay in your prison, that no one can seize, but you know it, you feel it on the inside. Absolute lie. Absolute lie. Lord, we declare, declare as it is written that you made a public display of all the powers of the enemy. Remember, Satan is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. Whatever he's saying to you this morning, it's a lie. It's a lie. So you spirit will not go of deception and lying spirit, the Lord rebukes you in Jesus' name. The Lord rebukes you over this church. The Lord rebukes you over those who are standing. The Lord rebukes you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.